Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Noah. And we are the Knights of Entertainment, a podcast covering your favorite and unknown movies, games, comic books, anime, and more weekly. We appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy the show. This is what we are covering tonight. Tonight is uh, the final recap, season four of Overlord. But before we do, like, share, and subscribe to the channel. You can enjoy the show on YouTube, Spotify, Odyssey, Rumble, and more. We appreciate you being here, so let's go ahead and get into it. Alrighty. So, last three weeks, we've done all the other season recaps. We're on to the very last one that's been aired. At this yeah, point. at least one of us can actually finish a series. <laughs> Not naming names. <laughs> I didn't believe everybody stuck in season 30. <laughs> All righty. So, uh, same as always, we're going to go through every single episode. Uh, again, 13 episodes in the season. So, uh, episode one of season four is titled uh, Sorceress Nation of Ainz Gone. So, we have Ainz. He's depressed and is surrounded only by his loyal servants and misses his formal, uh, his former guild members. So he's kind of just... He's down on the dumps today. Yeah. Ainz uh, establishes an orphanage in Erantel, which is the uh, city that he won during that uh, that battle. Yeah, yeah. he ended up getting Erantel, which is a big city, to identify talented individuals at a young age for the benefit of Nazarek. So all the people that lost to all their moms and dads during that war. They make it child soldiers? What's he doing? <laughs> he's figuring out who has talent among them. <laughs> Uh, he also hires widows of the dead who arrest these soldiers as workers to provide for them, <laughs> so that way they have they can make a living. Jesus, Damon takes their wives. Yeah, <laughs> and it's cold as ice. <laughs> uh, then you have Albedo. She's clashing with Aura over spending too much time with Ainz at this point because she doesn't get to spend as much time with her, with uh, with Ainz anyway. It's like ah, oh, she's thirsty. Yes. Making Ainz consider sending, uh, making Ainz consider sending Aura and Mare, the two elf twins, uh, out to make friends, uh, and like if there's an elf nation or something like that that they haven't discovered yet. So he's like, maybe they need to go get some friends instead of hanging out with me all the time. Uh, Albedo reveals Irantel is suffering a lack of resources as merchants are too scared to visit now that Ainz is king. It's like, fuck that. It's a fucking undead lich. I ain't gonna go to that city. Uh, Albedo is granted permission to visit the Riestes kingdom at this point, though. On her own as, like, an ambassador. Because she wants to go meet with the the nobles and stuff of that kingdom. Uh, As Pandora's actor still has an annoying personality that uh, irritates the hell out of Einzelgone. Uh, he suggests he would be proud if he grew beyond his original programming. And this is Ein speaking to Pandora's actor. Though he asks this be kept secret in case the floor guardians think he is showing favoritism to Pandora's actor. Since it was his creation. He doesn't want the rest of them to think that he's showing all, all that kind of favoritism towards him. Oof. But he's like, start thinking for yourself a little bit. Like, stop relying on every little damn thing from to come down from me. Just... Think for yourself a little bit. Like, if I give you an order, mull it over in your mind to think of the best way to act, execute it for the good of Nazarek. Kind of like Demiurge over here, you know. Just, dude, don't rely on me because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> uh, Pandora's actor does reveal that while posing as Momon, the Raven Black soldier, uh, many humans have been asking him about Ainz. Ainz uh, worries that the floor guardians see him, uh, still see humans as lesser creatures. So he doesn't want his floor guardians to look completely down upon humanity as like worthless, basically. So it's a kind of a fear of his that they're just going to think, eh, just kill them all. Uh, just fuck them. Ainz <laughs> uh, approaches Einzak, uh, which is <laughs> like just a longer version of his name. But uh, Einzak is the, uh, he's the master of the local adventurer's guild. Guild master, basically. Uh, since uh, Einz's death knights, Einzelgon's death knights, keep the peace, a lot of adventurer's security work has dried up. So there's no monsters to kill around uh, Erantel. There's nothing for them to really do. Damn. Because. Out of a job, huh? Yeah, pretty much. So, Ainz asks, asks to absorb the guild. God dang scabs. <laughs> God dang <laughs> Yeah. The, the, the death knights that can take it and destroy a fucking city. Yeah. 
Uh, so Ives asks to absorb the guild into his kingdom and put the adventurers to work exploring unknown lands and establishing diplomatic ties with undiscovered kingdoms. Basically allowing them to be true adventurers instead of just hired hands mm. the entire time. He wants them to enjoy the journey, the adventure, which is something that he couldn't do with uh, like Momon. Like, but as a leader and a king of the sorcerer kingdom, he can. Just like, you know, get on out there and be somebody. Pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you have uh, you have the, the guild master saying, well, you can have this guild. And he's like, no, I want all of the adventurers guild to be part of my kingdom. He's like, I have the military might. If I wanted to go to war with somebody, I could. I don't need adventurers to do that for me. I just want them to have fun and go out and actually adventure. So he's trying to be nice. He's a regular player. Yeah. He wants them to be kind of like players. Uh, Eins announces his plan now is to rule both human and non-human species in a kingdom where all can live in peace together in a utopia. And that's his actual plan. Ooh. Rather Demiurge wants that or not. <laughs> uh, episode two is called uh, Riesti's Kingdom. Uh, Eins worries his plan to establish a peaceful kingdom might clash with his servants' plans for world domination. Say if I would. Uh, Princess Rainier uh, establishes an orphanage in Riestes to identify magically talented orphans. Kind of the same thing that Einzelgon is doing, just in the the main part of the the kingdom itself. Uh, as Prince Barbaro, which is the one that was killed by uh, Lupus Regina last season, he's still missing because they don't know that he's dead yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, as Prince Barbaro is still missing, his brother Zanuck becomes acting crown prince of the Reestes kingdom. Deeply affected by Gazov's death, Brain seeks out children with score, uh, sword skills to potentially replace Gazov in the future. Al uh, Albedo arrives in Reestes, and she meets with Zanuck, the prince. At her welcoming party, a minor noble named Philip um, <laughs> Monserrat, which is just like Monserrat, basically saying he's a rat. Wow. The name. Is he a monster rat? Or is he just... That's kind of how it's just letters twist the right way. But yeah. Uh, and enamored by Albedo, uh, Albedo's beauty and seeking to improve his family's standing, he invites Albedo to a party at their mansion. So, because Albedo is like this uh, otherworldly beauty, according to all these people. So, like, she's got the porcelain skin. She's got nothing. No flaws. No nothing. Like it, she's a succubus. That's mm. her whole thing. So whenever a normal human sees her, they're like automatically enthralled as soon as they see her. So he is. He's enthralled and he makes his way to her. His father is furious as Philip's older brother died fighting against Ainz. But uh, Philip is adamant establishing a relationship with the Sorcerer Kingdom would benefit them. Saying basically he can outsmart the Sorcerer Kingdom on his own. This rat. <laughs> Monster rat. Well, rats are pretty uh, intelligent. Yeah. A rich commoner named Hilma Sig uh, um, Signius has uh, been supporting Philip financially and hopes to profit from him once he inherits his father's title. Albedo is completely uh, disgusted whenever Philip touches her because he puts his arm around her shoulder and you hear a crack in the anime. Like it's her uh, veneer cracking, but when you look at her, she still looks the exact same. But you can tell that she's like, the fuck are you touching me for? It's a quick little like uh, mental. Like snap. Yeah. Yeah. But her face and her demeanor, none of it changes the entire time. But you hear the crack audibly. Because <laughs> he looks at her. He's like, what was that? <laughs> um, Philip, believing he has made a good impression. Shares with Hilma, uh, Hilma his plan to t seduce and marry Albedo, this minor noble. Hilma, who is secretly under Albedo's influence, offers to have Philip murdered and replaced, but Albedo leaves, uh, lets him live temporarily. So basically, Hilma is one of the the eight fingers, the one that uh, got her legs busted open by Mare. <laughs> The one where I was uh, talking about how the st he got the staff and just smashed her legs and then drug her off by her hair. Oh, yeah. That was Hilma. Jesus. And she got uh, eaten out alive completely, not just in a sexual way, but she got eaten alive by uh, Kyohuko, those roaches. Right. 
That's her. <laughs> she's what? She's a, a husk? Well, she was uh, restored. Uh, like over and over and over and over. Like it just mentally broke her. I imagine so. Because she remembers being eaten alive. Right. So this is the same Hilma. This is. So she's all fucked in the head then. Like, well, she's like automatically. Um, she's completely devoted to the Sorcerer Kingdom now. Like, she would never go against them. But that's Stockholm Syndrome, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Hilma and Albedo secretly meet with the nobles who actually matter, aside from the monster rat person, <laughs> and begin planning to elevate the shortage of supplies in Irantil. Because that's their whole plan, is that they're going to just make a shortage of supplies for this uh, for the Riestes kingdom. Princess Rainier, who established the orphanage under Ainz's orders, is rewarded by Albedo for her loyalty. So this is when we find out that Princess Rainier is also working for Nazarik. The 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 Riestes Kingdom's princess. Jesus. The little demon. Lieutenant Yab. Yeah. Same fucking place. Yes. That's why she set up a guild, or not a guild, but a uh, an orphanage the same way Ainz has done. Like, she's literally doing everything that he would do. And copying him. So she's selling out her own kingdom. <laughs> which is really fucked up. Uh, episode 3. Baharuth Empire is the title. So, before Albedo has departed for the Riestes Kingdom, we went back in time a little bit, uh, Ainz gave her a world item. Uh, Gnengu, uh, God, I'm going to fuck up this name again. I always fuck up these names. Uh, Gnengagop, which is a staff with a floating black orb on top of it, but it's a world item. So, since uh, he gave her a world item, it prevents her being brainwashed the way that Shaltir was. Because if you have a world item, a world item can't affect you. Is basically how it goes anyway. So he's given her that. And Albedo was then surprised when, after requesting for a goodbye kiss from Ainz, Ainz kisses her on the cheek. With what? With his teeth. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, uh, the Cardinals of the Slain Theocracy, which is the kingdom that we met in the first season, the one that was attacking all those little uh, villages and stuff, they're discussing uh, the sorcerers, the Sorcerer Kingdom and Emperor Zhurkneve, the two of them. Their spy, the Thousand League Astrologer, which they call them, secludes herself in despair, having seen Ainz use his 11th tier magic to massacre 130,000 men. So he killed the, the sacrificial ones of 70,000, and then there was another uh, 60,000 that were killed by his baby goats. So 130,000 people died from one spell. Damn. That's a lot. <laughs> That's half of the entire army that the Riestes kingdom had last season. So uh, without any inf uh, without enough information, the cardinals decide to spy on uh, Emperor Zhurkneve. Meanwhile... Zhurkneve is unable to handle the stress of dealing with Ainz and losing the war, and it's causing his hair to begin to start falling out. <laughs> so he pulls his hands away, and all you see is just hair. Like, and it's hair in his hand? Yeah. Sounds like my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, just the stress of dealing with everything. <laughs> so Zhurkneve hopes the slain theocracy will uh, be secret allies with him against Ainz Lagoon. So, he hires the Adamantite Adventures Silver Thread Bird. It's a new group of people that we meet as guards uh, while meeting with their representatives from the Slain Theocracy. So, he's meeting with these people coming in from the Slain Theocracy. As a gladiatorial display in a coliseum, Zhurkneve meets the representatives, but in the coliseum, the Emperor's strongest gladiator, the Warrior King, is suddenly challenged by Ainz. The Jerkneve uh, has no idea this is even going to happen. So the main, like, the strongest warrior that they have in a Colosseum is going to fight Ainz now. <laughs> and he knew nothing about it. He's like, when the fuck did he get here? So i got to change my bets. <laughs> so Jerkneve panics as he believes Ainz somehow manipulated the entire meeting to force Jerkneve to either support Ainz or publicly betray him and ask the theocracy for his alliance. So in his mind, he thinks that since he's meeting with these slain theocracy representatives, that Ainz somehow 4D chest it to where uh, he's going to have to publicly choose Ainz or the slain theocracy. Uh, and that was never, <laughs> like, Ainz didn't even think this far ahead. Because I don't know. 
the theocracy accuses Jerkneva of conspiracy, but remains steadfast in opposing Ainz, who, as an undead, is the enemy of their temple. Ainz leaves for uh, for his duel, and Jerkneva begs the high priests to at least watch Ainz's fight and maybe discover his weaknesses. Because he thinks that maybe they can figure something out about him that he can't. So then we move into episode four called The Ruler of Conspiracy. <laughs> So, following Albedo's departure, we go back to the, where that started again, uh, to the Riesti's kingdom, Ainz decided upon uh, upon a publicly uh, a publicity stunt to show his power and his mercy. Along with Einzak, the guildmaster, Ainz Ulgon smuggled himself into the uh, the Baharuth Empire. Smuggled himself? Because he teleported them there uh. in a carriage. Because uh, you have uh, Einzak, the uh, guildmaster, he's like, we're in the Empire. When did we get here? Oh, we passed it a long time ago. <laughs> Doesn't even tell them how they got there. Uh, Einzak uh, pointed out hiring experienced adventurers could be pro- problematic, so uh, it would benefit Einz to train uh, amateurs uh, within the, like people that want that, uh, to be adventurers. He, uh, Einzak thinks that it would be smarter to hire new recruits, so that way they can go actually be adventurers rather than like veterans. Uh Einz decides a fight in the Coliseum would advertise to potential trainees, so Einzak setting up a meeting with a fight promoter for the Coliseum. Einz meets with uh, Fluter, the uh, the head mage of the Baharuth Empire, to gather information and rewarded his loyalty with a book detailing the exact nature of souls, the Book of the Dead. So he, he gives uh, Fluter Paradigm literally the... Uh, our Earth's version of the Book of the Dead, and says when you can learn how to read this, you'll learn mastery over life and death. Because <laughs> he has no idea what it even says. He lets him use this little monocle that lets him read like a few lines of it and everything, and he's like, no, 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 I need that back. <laughs> you can't have that. And you see him almost crying like a little kid, but oh, I want it. So he lets him have that book. Uh, meeting Osk, Osk is the fight promoter, Einz takes an interest in a rune-crafted ca- uh, sword from the Dwarven Kingdom. Osk arranged for a fight with the Warrior King, which well, now we jump back to the present. So now in the present, Einz meets the Warrior King in this Colosseum. Uh, the Warrior King, a troll named Gogen, who is uh, actually intelligent, unlike uh, Goo from... Gogen? Yeah, Gogen. G-G, good game, GG. It, it is, GG. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he deci- uh, deciding that he likes Gogen, Ainz offers to hire him should Gogen lose their fight, and he agrees. For the sake of fairness, Ainz uses no high-tier magic and equips Clementine's triple daggers, those ones that can create lightning and fire. Mm-hmm. So he equips those to himself so that way he can actually fight. She's like, what the fuck? Where's my shit at? Well, she's dead, remember? Oh, no. She got crushed to death. Oh, with shit just popping off of her, all those little, like, badges. Oh, yeah, that one girl with all the badges that she stole from the other guild members. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he's using her daggers. <laughs> it's like, isn't that a turn of events? Uh, Gogan is thrilled to have a fa- uh, to have faced somebody of Ainz's strength and swears to one day reach his level. Ainz kills Gogan and announces to the audience to his uh, that his desire... Are you not entertained? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> His audience, uh, his desire to train adventurers to explore the entire world and that they need not fear death in his service as he resurrects Gogan before their eyes. So not as like a, a death uh, like zombie, but he actually fully revives him. Out of desperation, Jerkneve, because he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so out of desperation, he requests that the Empire become a vassal state for the Sorcerer Empire. He's like, anything, let us be a sort of, let us just be a vassal state. How about that? Ainz hesitates to the agreement, but agrees to negotiate the details. And then Jerkneve hopes to survive by being one, at least useful as one of Ainz's servants. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. We're not going to win. Just make us a fucking vassal state. I'd probably, I'd probably call my uh, scientist back home. <laughs> how far, how long, how far along is the nuke? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then we go into episode five. It's called In Pursuit of the Land of Dwarves. So now we meet kinship for you. Dwarfs. Stout people. Short stout people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have Albedo suggesting to Demiurge that Ainz is unhappy with his plans. And Ainz wants him and Albedo to arrange for the Empire to become a vassal state. 
which is uh, kind of, it kind of freaks Demi Rush out because she's like, so how long would it have taken you to get the Empire to become a vassal state? And he's like, at least like a year. Well, Eins did it in a two days. Like she's bragging about Eins' ability and it's like he didn't even try to make him a vassal state. It just happened. And Demi has all these plans. He's like, fuck. <laughs> like, how did he do it so quick? It's like not being that bright. It actually helps. Uh, Ainz hopes to make an alliance with the Dwarven Kingdom to gain access to their rune technology, which is like carvings into actual weapons and equipment rather than just enchanted, uh, magically enchanted items. He takes Aura, Shaltir, and the lizard men Zinburu, who has experience with the dwarves, apparently during travels. Uh, Zinburu, anyway, not Shaltir or Aura. Um... Uh, Ainz hopes that the experience will broaden Shaltir's mind, and that she'll actually learn something at this point, instead of just rushing in to kill people, like she did in the first season. Because <laughs> she'll just go mad and go into that blood frenzy that she has. Uh, in private, Ainz reveals that the runes from, uh, are from the Yggdrasil game, and wonders if another player who taught them to the dwarves are still around, maybe. Aura suggests to Shaltir that she should try to understand uh, understand Ainz's actions. Like, take what he says and actually apply it to your life rather than just writing shit down at all times and not understanding any of it. They arrive at uh, Feo Reidho City, but find it abandoned except for Gondo Firebeard, a dwarf miner. Oh, Firebeard. Mm-hmm. Ainz explains his interest in an alliance. Is he a redhead? Yeah, he has a red beard. That bush must be wild. Because <laughs> uh, whenever he first comes up, you have uh, Aura goes up to him, and uh, it's like, hi, how are you? The little happy-go-lucky-looking little Naruto-looking kid <laughs> comes up to him, and he tries to hide himself because he's got this like cloak of invisibility, and this little dwarf puts it over himself and kind of like crawls away or whatever, and Aura, she's following him the entire time just watching him. <laughs> He's like, well, I guess this is fucking useless. Because <laughs> she's got the ability to perceive the invis invisible stuff as a, like, hunter-type character. So she, as, as the way she was built at a level 100 NPC, she can see through the the low-level invisibility spells. Like, you'd have to have an ability that uh, Einzel's gun would have, which is perfect and knowable, to even try to hide from her. And then you have Einzel's like, oh, fuck, it's an undead run, where he tries to drag Aura with him. And she's like, no, that's my that's my boss. <laughs> like, he ain't gonna hurt you. So then you have him explain that, uh, he, he explains his uh, interest in, uh, in an alliance and in the runes themselves. Gondo admits not many runesmiths remain since it's easier to use enchantments on weapons than it is actual runes. It takes time and, like, actual knowledge on how to do it. And Dwarven society has been declining for years. Ainz offers his support in helping the dwarves recover their pride, so Gondo, or Gondo swears his loyalty. They encounter a new race called the Quagga, a race of mole people that eat metal to make their fur more impenetrable. Mole people. Mole dog-looking creatures. So basically whatever metal they eat, their fur kind of takes on those characteristics. Huh. Kind of a, a unique... My God, they had a mad team would be over. Yeah, it really would. <laughs> uh, Ions orders Shaltir to capture them alive and is pleased when she correctly deduces his reason for doing so, which is to uh, basically figure out what their point is. So she uses charm on them. You only need one. And she captured all of them. <laughs> it's uh, control lesser species and it's just an area of an effect that Shaltir has. Uh, Ions learns that the Kuaga are a support for force for a uh, army led by a clan leader, Peri-Euro, who, at the very moment, is leading an army to destroy what is left of the Dwarven Kingdom that had already left this city that they're in right now. So then we move into episode 6, called The Impending Crisis. The Kuaga army attacks the stronghold uh, Feogera, which is where the dwarves are now. Ainz arrives and offers uh, assistance to the general, who is so desperate, he accepts immediately, even though he looks at him and it's like, oh, fuck, now we gotta deal with an undead elder lich, too. <laughs> with, the, with the Balrog and everything, my God. <laughs> Ainz's death knights push the Kuaga back 
but two of them uh, are destroyed when the Kuaga Pack leader, Yoles, destroys the bridge they are standing on, dropping them into a bottomless chasm. Hmm. And Eins thinks that somebody killed them rather than them just falling. Because right. he knows that they were destroyed, but he doesn't know how. And it, like it took a little bit of a uh, little bit of intelligence for them to cut the ropes. It's like, oh fuck, we can't beat these. Drop the bridge, destroy the bridge. Um, Eins offers the dwarves uh, regency council of trade uh, of the uh, excuse me. Eins offers the dwarves regency council a trade alliance as well as Eins's guarantee of protection. So basically saying that if you give me your runesmiths and uh, that technology. I'll offer you all the trade, and I'll give you protection. That way, you don't ever have to worry about the Kuaga again. Uh, Ainz also offers to reclaim the Dwarven royal capital for, uh, of Fael Burkana from the Kuaga, because they've already taken that over, despite the Kuaga's numbers and a frost dragon living nearby. <laughs> so he'll do all this for the dwarves in exchange for all the runesmiths relocating to his kingdom out of the Dwarven kingdom. So he wants all their runesmiths. And he'll destroy dragons, the Kuaga, and get their city back for him. I want all your women. He's not even asking them. He don't even want the women. The hottest one. <laughs> I want them all. Despite their reservations, the council agrees. Eins meets the runesmiths and informs them that he wants them to be uh, that he wants them to totally revive their craft, and they gladly accept. Gondo Firebeard. It's touched that runecrafting and art practiced by his family for generations will be saved from decline. He also offers to act as a guide to the royal capital. In exchange for Eins's complicity and stealing a valuable book on runes from the treasury that's in that capital that nobody else has been able to get to because it's got a uh, like a magical lock on it, so even the frost dragons haven't been able to get into it. Hmm. Eins instructs Sheltier on strategic thinking in case they meet whoever killed the Death Knights. So basically, this is where they see that the uh, the bridge has been cut, but he still doesn't. Re- he thinks that there's a uh, a being that actually killed him. He still doesn't realize that they just fell off of the rope bridge. Because again, Eins is smart, but he's like he's overthinking it, thinking that somebody was strong enough to destroy his Death Knights rather than them just falling. Hmm. But at this point, uh, Aura realizes that they fell. So Aura goes to go tell Ayn, just like, hey, uh, and you have him turn around, it's like, shh. So Aura shuts up. <laughs> Even though he's just telling her to be quiet because he's talking to Shout here, <laughs> he doesn't, <laughs> she takes it as, oh, you already know. So, oh. so it's like a complete disconnect of information right there. Eins also looks forward to meeting a real dragon in person because he's been waiting to meet dragons from the very first season because they're the strongest creatures in Yggdrasil, mm-hmm. so he wants to see what they're like here. Huh. Going into episode 7, uh, titled Frost Dragon Lord. That's the title of it. So we have Yols, which is the uh, one of the Quagga. He's reporting his defeat to uh, Pei Ryuro, who visits the Frost Dragons... Uh, God, I'm going to fuck up this name. Uh... Ola Sardark. Ola Sardark. Ola Sardark. Yes. And he meets him in the royal palace that uh, they stole from the dwarves, uh, hoping to persuade him to attack the dwarves. Ola Sardark, since, his, uh, since one of his sons, Hienmal, uh, these are like uh, Norse names at this point, uh, an overweight coward dragon that has a gigantic stomach and glasses. Glasses, wow. Yeah. Well, if you bite the sight. Hienmal is so scared he immediately surrenders to Heinz once he needs some. Kiss himself. Uh he actually pisses himself. Damn. Literally. <laughs> After uh, then you have Heinz. He goes and he kills Olus Dark. Oh. The leader of the fo- the frost dragon. Oh, not the fat one. Not the fat one. He keeps the fat one as a pet for Aura. Even though it's intelligent and it can speak normally. That's a pet now. So a slave then, okay. <laughs> uh, Eins then helps Gondo steal the rune book. He uses this uh, magic item that it can unlock any lock, but there's like a set number that it'll actually work on from the game of Yggdrasil. Uh, the skeleton key from Sky Elder Scrolls? Kind of, yeah. I think the one was in... Uh, it was in... Uh, uh, I know there was one in Merwind. Yes. 
I don't know if there was one in uh, Oblivion, though. Skyrim, I have no idea. Well, there was one, wasn't there? Skyrim, yeah, there was. It had, like, an unlimited one. Yes, it was completely unlimited. Now, did you keep it, or did they, they take it from you? You could keep it. I think I was... I didn't finish the quest. I was the... Oh, yeah, because you have to finish that damn quest. Yeah. It's funny you ended up, like, the guild leader of everything, and you didn't you couldn't do a damn thing with the guilds. No, and none of them ever respected you either. So, hey, we will probably spit in your fucking face. Yes. <laughs> that is kind of what happens, so. <laughs> Um, Shaltir is wary uh, of whoever killed the Death Knights until Ains reveal, uh, Aura reveals that Ains always knew the Death Knights fell into the chasm. He just hid it so Shaltir would think that there was a strong enemy, requiring her to think strategically. So Aura's telling Shaltir, it's like, no, Ains knew all along. That's why he shushed me. So you Even though Ains really does not know. <laughs> he's like, he's still the one that's oblivious to it at this point. <laughs> By Ainz's orders, Shaltir offers uh, Riro a chance, a choice. Either all 60,000 Kuwaga swear loyalty at this moment, or she will kill all except 8,000 males and females and 2,000 children. So it's either swear loyalty, or you have, uh, what, like 15,000 people left? Hmm. or Sorry, 10,000? 10,000 total? So 8,000 males and females and 2,000 children. But he said, was he like, do it, Dad? Rio chooses to fight. Yeah, that's <laughs> my boy right there. But he is devastated when Shaltir kill, kills 50,000 of the Quilaga on her own. Hey, man. Carry on like a boss. He's looking at it like, fuck. You just said, even in the anime, you see body parts just flying through the air, blood trail on them. <laughs> Why she's just standing there just spinning, chopping the shit out of people. It's like, damn. I'm like, I can fight at least. And they're like, we're trying. <laughs> well, he's like, oh, my strongest guard. And then they just get. All right, my second strongest go. <laughs> Third, you too. And then he's like, well, we can't uh, choose how many die, but we can choose who dies. It's all of them. Except for 10,000. They did leave 10,000. I thought they were going to kill. It was either all 60,000 uh-huh. loyalty or you get whittled down to 10,000 total. Your choice. It would have been so much easier just to surrender. But they seen one person and thought, Psh. I'm not here for easy. I'm here for a head-on collision. <laughs> well, at this point, <laughs> Riro swears loyalty after all this. And I they probably should have killed him. No, you can always kill the leader that, that uh, uh, kind of, you know, spoke against you. And then I'm glad another later. I think the biggest reason is, is they have no fear of him at this point. Because, like, what are they really going to do to him? You never know. So he swears loyalty, and Ainz promises both the dragons and Quagga will prosper in his kingdom as long as they remain loyal to him. Shaltir then uh, shares what she learned from the experience, and Ainz is proud of her. Ainz summons Demiurge to report on progress of the Holy Robo Empire, and Demiurge is impressed now that both the Empire and the Dwarven Kingdom's loyalty, and through a series uh, uh, and through a series of misunderstandings, now believes that Ainz has formulated plans for at least the next 10,000 years. Damn, that's a lot of years. Because they, he asked him, he's like, how far do you think ahead, Lord Ainz? And you have Ainz uh, Gone like, thinking in his normal, like, thought process. He's like, what was that old Japanese saying? Be prepared for it. 10, he says like 10,000 years out life. 10,000 years? No wonder I haven't been able to catch up. It's like, fuck. Like, and then you see, he's like, uh. Like, I didn't mean that. Sure, if you want to believe it. Uh, episode 8 is called An Unexpected Move. Uh, we start off with Demiurge. He's manipulating the, ho- uh, the Robo Holy Kingdom into trading with the Sorcerer's Kingdom. Philip the person that was hitting on uh, Albedo before, what be- Teddy's do? Yeah. becomes the new prime, uh, becomes the new Baron Mustrat, but his farmers are unable to farm as much food as Einzel Gones is undead, and his finances suffer when Einz gives food to the Holy Kingdom for free, so they stop buying from Philip. Damn, you, you bankrupt me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of Einz's uh, food deliveries is then stolen, and the threat of the theft is traced back to Philip. So the, he, he stole shit from Ainz now, at this point. After Albedo and Ainz interrogate Hilma, 
the person that was supposed to be watching over this, uh, this little fucktard, didn't work out, they bring her in. Hilma is surprised whenever Eins blames himself instead of her and becomes devoted uh, to him even more, describing his mercy to the other eight fingers whenever she comes back out of Nazarek. Cool. So basically, he's like, um, so it wasn't your fault. And Albedo, she's like, no, Hilma was in charge of uh, this Baron Philip, and he should she should have known what he was doing. And then he looks at her, but weren't you in charge of Hilma? And then it's like, but I'm in charge of you, so I'm the one at fault. So, like, he doesn't blame any of his subordinates. He ends up taking blame for it. He just says, like, it's not your fault. You're all stupid. It's my fault for choosing you. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the way they take it, too. <laughs> uh, Albedo explains to the floor guardians that Philip was supposed to incite the commoners into rebelling against the nobility. And that was her plan. Rebellion! <laughs> And they didn't realize that uh, Philip was as stupid as he is. <laughs> and they were supposed to peacefully absorb the Riestes kingdom into the sorcerer's kingdom, but Philip provoked a war instead. Eins agrees an example is required, but pri uh, privately is not happy his plan failed. Eins then sends a letter to the Riestes king, warning that the sorcerer's kingdom, Baharuth Empire, and the Dwarven kingdom Dragon Kingdom, Roly Hobel, uh, the Robel Holy Kingdom, and a powerful figure called the Faceless all hold the Riestes Kingdom responsible for the attack on the transport and may declare war. <laughs> Wait, of all these kingdoms against the Riestes. They're sending a letter. What if he just sent that charge that says, one of those, on one side it says find out, and one says fuck up? Or fuck around, right? Fuck around and find out. <laughs> fuck around? Find out. It's just like, it's, yeah, all he said is a chart. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he puts where the kingdom's at and where the fuck around is and where the find out is he's getting, perfect. getting real close <laughs> uh, King Ramposa uh, Zanuck and his minions are trapped between fighting a war that they know they cannot win against Ainz or blaming everything on Philip and hoping Ainz shows mercy to them Albedo then arrives at the end of this episode which uh, surprises everybody and uh is she is surprised whenever Ramposa offers his own head in exchange for the mercy of his kingdom? Ooh. He's like, I know that nothing can basically uh, be good enough, but how about my head? Will you take my head to prevent war, basically? So then we move into episode nine called Countdown to Extinction. So is that a fucking music video? <laughs> is that one of the shit movies or one of the songs called Countdown to Extinction or some shit? You mean the final countdown? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get us copyrighted real what fast. If, what if it opened up just to that? <laughs> uh, that is kind of how we open it. <laughs> so Albedo, uh, that's how we start off this Countdown to Extinction episode 9. Albedo refuses Ramposa's head and declares war on the Riestes kingdom. Though she promises Ainz will use no higher tier spells as he wishes to enjoy this. So he's like, you want to commit any war crimes, huh? <laughs> uh, then we have Brain, who now holds uh, Gassif's sword, Razor's Edge, the one from the end of season three. Uh, he's deciding to evacuate uh, his sword students out of the Riestes kingdom before Ainz moves in. Demiurge moves soldiers to surround the Riestes kingdom, preventing other countries interfering. Ainz worries victory will not be easy, since more can be learned by experiencing failure. The Floor Guardians won't actually learn anything if they win without trying. At Pistonia's request, which is the uh, the maid that has a, uh, that's not one of the battle maids. She's just one of the maids of Nazarek, but she's the one that I showed you that has a dog head. Phew. Long time ago. Well, you can watch our battle maids uh, episode. You'll see her there. Dog head. Yes, a dog head. Rob, yeah, Game of Thrones. Named Pistonia. Well, they put the dog on uh, Rob's, no, yeah, what was it? What was his son's name? Rob Stark? Yeah, Rob. Put his dog on his head. Yeah. Or his, on his, his dog on his Oh, God. Yeah. That was brutal to watch. Well, this is more like a uh, a stuffed animal. Long live the king of the north. <laughs> so at Pistonia's request, Ainz visits the frozen prison on Nazarek's fifth floor to see her and Negretto, Albedo's older sister, which is uh, one of the characters that we talked about on Area Guardians a long time ago. We have an episode on it. Where uh, she's got, like, no face and she carries gigantic scissors. Oh, yeah. The creepy-looking one. Yeah. Yeah. He he goes down there to meet Pistonia and her. 
Pestonia. Pestonia. Pestonia, I kind of had like cake or something like that. Like it's like a sweets or whatever is her last name. Pestonia cum butter. <laughs> so we have Negretto and Pestonia's wish for Ainz to stop massacring humans as they believe humans have infinite potential that Ainz is wasting. Ainz agrees, but points out that the need to set an example of what happens to kingdoms who oppose him. He's like, yeah, I agree that humans have potential, but they need to fucking die when they fuck with me. <laughs> so then you have Ainz, uh... I gotta move this. <laughs> there we go. This thing's been, like, wobbling everywhere today. Yeah. <laughs> he decides to massacre the coastal kingdom of Enol, which is part of the, uh, the Rastis kingdom. Uh, but leave some humans alive for them. So he's like, I'll let some of them escape then. Fine. So Count Neol, which uh, hires the Four Armaments, which is another uh, adventurer's uh, team, basically. Mithril level adventurers. So they're not adamantite, but they're like right below them. To protect Enol. One of them, Lilianette, agrees to marry Naol's 12-year-old son, and in exchange for the Naol family heirloom, the five-colored holy sword. Yeah. And she's one of those freaks. Where she starts drooling. She's like, don't you have a don't you have a 12-year-old son? Because <laughs> <laughs> she likes him young. It's like, oh. <laughs> I saw uh, a legal, huh? Don't you? <laughs> so uh, then you have the four armaments are almost overwhelmed by two of Ainz's death knights. He's got a normal death knight with a shield and sword, and then he has a double sword wielder, death knight, and then a group of zombies. <laughs> but the zombies are really not that big of a deal. So they're getting overwhelmed by it. But then they're saved whenever the death knights are easily destroyed by an adamantite level adventurer wearing red flying armor from the adventurer guild Drop of uh, Red. Drop of Red. And it looks like a fucking Gundam. <laughs> so we go from fantasy to Saiva. Gundam. Yes. Gundam, huh? Yeah. It's Maybe just a little like a nod to Gundam. Maybe the guy like Gundams. Well, uh, we it, we do find out. Um, I don't necessarily. They don't say it. I don't think. But uh, it, it, the armor was something that in the game of Yggdrasil was given out to new players after the game had already been out for a long time. Uh -huh. So that way they could get a head start uh -huh. within the game. Like it was one of those bonus sign-in things for new players. Right. But uh, with a lot of people made those fucking fake accounts. Yeah. Grab that armor real quick. Oh, yeah. And you traded it for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the, that was the, what the kind of armor it was. It was called power armor, I think. I'm just like, man, I didn't, I couldn't get that. What the fuck? <laughs> He's all upset now. Oh, bro, I remember that armor. <laughs> so uh, it basically, uh, whatever people were brought into this world hundreds of years ago, one of them had that armor. And that's how this armor exists in this world now. Because the person that's flying the armor is not a player. Huh. So we go into episode four, uh, 10, which is called The Last King. So Ainz, recognizing the armor from Yggdrasil... He's like, fuck, I want yeah. that. He lets Enal uh, survive and moves his army to the Riestes uh, capital to destroy it. The Blue Roses, which is the... Uh, one of the groups that we met before that fought with uh, Demiurge's altered uh, ego, uh, Yaldabao. Mm -hmm. We have that group, and then we have the Drop of Red, which is the guy that was flying this power. That was armor. great, Drop of Red. Yeah. I like that name. Whose armor-wielding leader, Azuf, is Lachius's uncle. So the leader of Blue Rose, her uncle, is the guy wearing the red armor. Cool. And he's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> he's got two whores whenever they meet up beside him. Uh, they are summoned to meet a, a special forces group from the theocracy, the Black Scripture, which is what uh, Clementine was part of too at one point, the Black Scripture, who ask them to switch loyalty to the theocracy to fight Ainz, but they refuse. So basically the Black Scripture comes in and it's like, we want both of your groups to join us. And they're like, nah, we're good. Damn. <laughs> uh, Azoth plans to fight Ainz alone to save Riestes. So he's going to put that battle armor on and he's going to go fight Ainz alone. Zanuck meets with Ainz and demands how uh, demands to know why Ainz has ignored his demands uh, or his attempts to surrender. So basically, this is on the battlefield. You have both armies 
facing off against each other. You have Ainz, and then you have the Riestes Kingdom. The uh, the Prince Zanuck, he goes to the middle of the battlefield, and he requests an audience with Ainz. And Ainz agrees. And that's where this happens, or whatever. He's like, why are you ignoring me? Why will you not let us surrender to you? And you have Ainz, he admits uh, he is using Riestes as an example to other kingdoms at this point. Saying, you fuck around, and you find out. You see the chart right here? <laughs> they pulls out a fucking big-ass chart. <laughs> then you have the Prince Zanuck. He demands to know Ainz's ultimate goal. And in a, mo- uh, a moment of genuine honesty, Ainz admits he is seeking happiness. That's all he wants. He wants all the people of Nazareth that, he, that are, have been entrusted to him, in his mind anyway, that all his friends have left him, like all these NPCs and stuff like that, all the items, he wants those people to be happy. That's his only goal. He couldn't give a fuck about this new world whatsoever. He just wants his Nazarene people to be happy. So, Ainz also learns Gazif's sword is with Brain at the Riestes capital from Zanuck, because that's what Zanuck says. Uh, Zanuck wonders if, uh, if he was actually ever fit to be king whenever they part ways. He's like, that was an actual king. Like, looking at Ainz, this is what a king is supposed to be. And then you have... Uh, you have Ainz thinking the exact same thing of Prince Zanuck as he's walking away. Since he's just a normal person and not really an overlord, he's like, oh, so that's what actual royalty looks like and acts like. So, returning to his army, a group of nobles are so terrified that they betray Zanuck. Uh, the traitors then bring Zanuck's head to Ainz to Damn. beg for mercy and present them uh, Zanuck's severed head in a bag. Ainz demands to know where Zanuck's armor is, and also, uh, and as it also belonged to Gazif, uh, he then, uh, he's like, yes, yes, yes. Basically, um, he allowed, he's like, what do you want from me then? What do you want ex- in exchange for giving me Xanax head? And they say, safety for our families. That's all we want is safety for our families. It's like, okay, okay. Um, or uh, go ahead and uh, open the gate and let him back into Nazareth. We're going to go ahead and protect them. And then he stops her. He sends them for, he sends them to Nuranus, the the Cthulhu bitch. Mm. All those people get sent to Nuranus at the frozen prison, promising them that they will receive mercy. That mercy being death, once they have begged Nuranus to kill them to escape her true expert torture. And then whenever uh, he tells Aura, send him to Nuranus, and she says, okay. And then he stops her, like grabs her arm physically, like kind of roughly. And he's like, and whenever they demand to die, don't kill them right away. Make it torturous. He wants them to suffer as much as possible at this point now. Instead of just giving them a merciful killing, you will let them die. Like you will let them die whenever Nuranus wants them to die. Because of how they betrayed the king or this prince. Like it irritates him so much that somebody would betray one of their friends, supposedly, that he's like, no, 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 you're going to suffer for eternity now. So, disgusted by the noble's actions, Ainz, uh, he hands his army to Kokaitis and Mare with the order to completely massacre the Riestes kingdom using any method that they desire to use. No holds bar at this point. Because he said he's just lost interest. Instead of taking it, like, having fun with the war, he's like, you know what? Like, his true Elder Lich nature, like, he kind of slips into being a true Elder Lich at this point. I'm saying just fuck them all. Let them all die. After he sees how they act towards each other. So then we go into episode 11, which is called Well-Prepared Traps. We start off with uh, Ramponza, the king. He's mourning the death of his son, believing it marks the end of his kingdom completely. Because Zanuck is dead at this point. Shaltir retrieves the eight fingers, including Coco Doll, which is the sex slave trafficker <laughs> that we met in season two, uh, whom she gives to Kyohuko to test Coco's loyalty. So uh, <laughs> you have Helma. She's like, you, you'll, you'll enjoy it after it's all over. <laughs> uh, as Ainz advances on the capital, Azuth flies to stop them and fight Albedo. Ainz is ambushed by another warrior in platinum armor, Riku and Gia. So, Riku is technically that uh, dragon that we've seen from the first season. There was a uh, a platinum dragon 
that was basically he's uh, he's the the leader of a council state, a different nation, but he's controlling this armor remotely, mm-hmm. and Eines doesn't realize that it's a remotely controlled piece of armor. He thinks it's an actual person. Uh, so Riku, who traps Eines in a barrier that he cannot break. So we have Ainz getting ready to fight him in a barrier that he can't even get out of. Ainz uh, realizes the armor is eventually being controlled remotely and battles Riku after he refuses to become a, sor- a subordinate. He's like, here, join me, join my kingdom. And he's like, no, I ain't joining your kingdom. Fuck you. Uh, backed into a corner, Ainz takes the unusual decision to kneel and beg for mercy, claiming he is the victim and re-estes the criminals. Riku agrees, but claims Ainz went too far, so he has to die. And then you have Albedo break through the barrier to defend him. Uh, basically, since she's carrying a world-class item, it breaks through that barrier uh, with no issue. Was it a world-class item that trapped him? It wasn't a world-class item is what they find out, but it was a uh, an ability that existed from dragon lords. They don't know this, obviously, at this point, because it, it's further in the books, but... Not the anime? No. But uh, you find out that the this barrier is on par with a world item, but um, it wasn't from the game. This is something that existed in this world way before the game elements came to be. Huh. So uh, it causes Riku to, re- to retreat after Albedo breaks through because she's like getting ready to fuck him up with her world item because it, it, uh, it can transform into an axe for her. <laughs> so she's ready to just crack the armor completely. Um. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, Riku, he, uh, let's see here. Where was I? Okay, so uh, it basically causes Riku to retreat and regroup with Azuth, the one wearing the, that wears the red armor. Uh, Riku is revealed to be the uh, the Platinum Dragon Lord. Uh, to Riku, anyway, like, or to the audience, basically. You find out that this is the Platinum Dragon Lord. Uh, he is curious that Albedo broke the barrier while Ainz could not. Meaning either Albedo possesses a world item, because he knows about world items, this dragon lord does, or she is actually stronger than Ainz. He theorizes that Albedo might actually be a player, and Ainz an NPC. Wait, so this guy's a player too? No. The dragon lord worked with players at one point, is what you find out in back in time. Like, when you went backwards in time, people that had been sent to this world before, he knew these players, and they ex- they tried to explain it to him, but he doesn't know, like, the full concept of player versus NPC. He knows the words, but he also, he can't, um, how would I describe this? Um, can't comprehend a video game. He can't comprehend a video game whatsoever, but uh, whenever he says the word player, he it, like, they, they put it in the subtitles even where it's misspelled slightly. Because he knows the word, but he doesn't know what it is. Right. So, uh, and he begins to uh, make plans to destroy both of them. He also considers whether to kill the uh, Azoth in order to give his Yggdrasil armor to someone stronger. Because he's like, oh, so you couldn't beat Albedo, huh? Even with that red armor. Ainz <laughs> uh, and Albedo return to Nazarek, where it is revealed that Ainz is actually Pandora's actor the entire time. It was never really Ainz. And the real Ainz was observing the battle from Nazarek the entire time. He's like, fuck! <laughs> fuck! He demands that uh, Pandora's actor tell him everything that he learned of Riku. Because he sent him there basically as a scout to figure out all his abilities, his powers, everything about him. And then he asks them to place him at a level. So you have uh, Pandora's actor saying that uh, Riku, or this the Platinum Dragon Lord basically, would be at a level 90. Then you have Albedo thinking that he's more somewhere around 85. And then Shaltir thinks that he's a level 80. So they all have their own... Dropping him down. Yeah, because they've all fought him at this point now. So you have Albedo fighting him once she broke through the world barrier. You have Pandora's actor constantly fighting him, and that's why he places him at a 90. And then in the first season, the uh, person that had the world-class item that was able to brainwash Shaltir was uh, friends of the platinum dragon lord Mm. and he she fought that armor as well and it kind of fucked it up so (laughs) she's like "Ah, level 80 it wasn't nothing so we move into episode 12 called invasion of the royal capital 
So Ainz is curious about uh, Riku's barrier skill, which Albedo broke through since she carries the world item that she has. Um, Ainz concludes that Riku must defeat them again so he can learn more. Though he is reluctant in case he is killed and cannot be resurrected. But he kind of doesn't want to die. He like, if I can avoid that, I will. Uh, Princess Rainier, she visits Brain, Lycus, and the Blue Roses, and Riestes, where the Blue Roses betray Lycus. They poison her, they beat her until she is too weak to resist evil eyes hypnosis. So the leader of the guild is attacked by her own guild. Or her own adventurous group. Traitors everywhere. Uh, they reveal that Lycus had planned to stay in Riestes' kingdom in the fight. So they decided to take her with them by force to keep her alive. And that was the whole reason they attacked her. And used the charm spell on her to make her do what they wanted. Because they knew that she would, even if they left, she would stay to fight. So the, the only way to get her to leave was to fuck her up enough to put her under a spell to leave. Jesus. And she can heal herself. So it didn't hurt her too much. Uh, preparing to teleport out of the Riestes kingdom, they offer to take Brain and Princess Rainier with them to safety to a distant kingdom wiped out centuries ago, which they decline. Brain in particular refuses as he hopes to duel Ainz, but he gives Gazef's sword to Princess Rainier and Climb to return to the king. <laughs> return to the king. Uh, Kokaitis and Aura arrive and begin destroying the city at this point. So, uh, Brain, while searching for Imes, he encounters Kakaitis, who agrees to duel him after a brief introduction. Despite his training and increased abilities, Brain is killed instantly by Kakaitis. Piggy's like, no, Brain! <laughs> the funny thing is, though, is that Brain the Swordsman, at that point, whenever he fought Kakaitis, he had reached higher levels than any human ever of this new world. By powering up the way he had, like whenever he fought shelter and stuff, training and stuff, he got power more powerful than Gaz of Stronoff, the old head warrior that had died. Any he he'd reached past the peak of any human on this new world, physically, and then he still died. <laughs> Kokaitis is impressed by brain skill and warrior spirit. Following Ainz's lesson on strategic thinking, Kokaitis reasons that brain might have value. So he collects Brain's sword, which is the uh, just a normal katana sword as a trophy, and has his body frozen to potentially be, be resurrected later should Ainz wish it. Hmm. So he had enough intelligence to say he might be worth something in the future freezing. Then we move on to the final episode called The Witch of the Falling Kingdom. All right. As the attack on the capital continues, Princess Rhaenyra convinces the king have climb uh, to have climb hide all the royal treasures around the city, hoping Ainz will want to obtain them and thus spare more people. At least this is what she tells him. Ooh, a treasure! Ooh, a treasure! Elsewhere, Aura raids the city's magicians' guild, and uh, there's a little group of people that come out to try to stop her, and she just blows their head off with an arrow because she's a bowman as well. So, after completing his mission, Climb returns to the palace, only to find Ainz on the throne and the king dead. With Princess Rainier holding the sword. Razor's Edge. Believing Ainz has charmed the princess into killing her father, Climb challenges Ainz uh, will go into a duel, but he's easily killed. Bring your dick out, we're gonna duel. The funny part, too, is that uh, whenever Ainz is holding him, he's like, at this point in a normal protagonist story, this is where you'd gain powers that would allow you to destroy the evil ones such as myself. But this is this is real life. And just throws him across the room. Bringing up one of those tropes of something like a Goku or something like that. It's like, in, in normal fantasy, you'd be able to beat me. But this is the real world for you. So, uh, however, Ainz is later resurrected and finds that Princess Rainier is now a demon. While Rainier claims that she was forced to swear loyalty to Ainz, a later conversation with Albedo reveals that she was willing willingly sold out her own country the entire time, just so that way she could be with Climb for eternity. Jesus Christ, everyone's betrayed everybody. So I'll see there's nothing but betrayal. Yes. It's all in Einzelgon's favor. <laughs> <laughs> so Princess Rhaenyra then asks Climb to become a demon like her so that she wouldn't be alone, which he accepts, because she calls him her puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Albedo then visits Philip, the one that touched her, and we all heard that the cracking glass from her. 
uh, who expects uh, a thank you for providing her a uh, casus belly for this war. Instead, Albedo tortures him to death, revealing that Philip's father requested that she punish him for his actions. Heesh. What they don't show in the anime, but they do have in the light novels, though, is that she said, come view the forest that your father wanted me to show you. And all it is is like Vladimir, uh, like Dracula shit, where it's just people on pikes. Huh. And that's the forest <laughs> where she left them all just on spears, dead in the front yard. And hanging from their buttholes? Could be. <laughs> that's what he used to do, didn't he? He used to fucking put them up there by their buttholes and just they would sink into it. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that a different trap? I don't know. He's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yes. Basically, she killed them all. <laughs> yeah. The that's, whole point. That's the whole... In a very gruesome way. You know, put but... them by the throat. And... <laughs> <laughs> and all you hear is screams from the the departure from the mansion. To my battle! <laughs> uh, in the aftermath of the war, Ainz meets uh, Marcus Raven and puts him in charge of the kingdom's former territory. Uh, the Sorcerer King also asks the Marquis if this conflict made the world understand the foolishness of opposing him, to which he affirms that it did, leaving the overlord satisfied with his outcome. Because he's sitting on the throne of a, like a, a, um, a rubble throne of the kingdom. Because literally the entire kingdom city is gone after Einzelgun takes over. He literally left it in pure runes at the end with a crown sitting on the edge of this, like, uh, this stone throne and then the scepter hanging off to the side where it's like one of those images of, like, he's, like, alone in this kingdom of ruin. And he's got all those other, uh, like, nobles, like Marquis Raven. That's why I said he's one that you'd actually, uh, a name that's easy to remember because he comes back at this, uh, in this season and takes over the entire lands, basically, to rule them uh, until Albedo or Demiurge come up with better plans. Because he's like, continue to rule your kingdom in your normal way. He's like, so, do you think I did good? The Marquis like, don't never forget this. He's like, okay, then it was worth it. Never forget this. Don't never forget this. And then at the end of the episode, it says, and the end begins... I'll never forget this. Exactly. Find some trap somewhere, something. <laughs> That's how he ends season four. It tied up a lot of loose ends, stuff like that. But you never, you can never put a rebel down. <laughs> Rebellions. Uh, any questions? So why are they called light novels and not manga? Like I said, because uh, they're it's chapter books. Oh, it's actually books. Yeah, it's actual books. Huh. Yeah, I don't know if there are manga of. I haven't really... Overlord? Yeah, I haven't really looked. I know that the like the light novels are extremely popular. Like, when you look up anything that's written... Why light novel? That's just how they pronounce it? Like, what do you mean? What's like, it called a light? What's the, what's the light novel mean? Because it's a, 250, 300 pages. That's a light? Yeah. I mean, so that's a novel. I'm thinking Harry Potter. Yeah, but Harry Potter was, you know... A thick bitch? Yeah, that's a thick bitch right there. <laughs> Didn't I say that one? Yeah. <laughs> That's why you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar to me. Yeah. But I mean, like, a novel, regular novel is like two, three hundred pages. Yeah. So it'd just be, like, I think they're saying that it's like a, um. I guess Japan has a whole definition of light and, and uh, fat. Yeah. And 900 pages is a normal novel to them. <laughs> like 3,000 is like a, a thick bitch. Yeah, I have, uh, I think I saw the first one. The first light novel from that. But it goes into a lot more detail than the actual anime does because they they obviously leave stuff out. Yeah, they got more stuff to say. Yeah. But if you ever try to find books for Overlord, I don't know if I've ever really seen the manga come up as much. Like I know they probably do exist because the anime obviously exists. Yeah. But I. Uh, but it went from novel to manga to anime. No, it went from uh, web series to light novel to probably manga. Series, huh? Yeah, there's web series before. Goddamn One Piece. Yeah. The same kind of thing. The guy that created Overlord loved Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. That was his thing. Like his, uh, but he never had, apparently he never had anybody to really play Dungeons and Dragons with. It's all like my body and life. (laughs) So he just created a whole novel. Like, yeah, how about this then? (laughs) But like I said, uh, we're uh, season five. They haven't said whenever it's coming out. 
Uh, there is supposed to be a movie, I think, later this year or early, uh, early next year that takes place in season four between a couple of episodes. Like uh, the whole movie, the whole movie does. It's about the uh, the Roly Holy, uh, the Roble Holy Kingdom that Demiurge was dealing with. The ones that they were trying to send food to. Right. It's basically an entire arc of just Demiurge, okay, the demon. That's why he wasn't in season four very, as much, uh-huh. because he was doing his doing own in his own thing. Yeah, must be that popular. Yeah, because <laughs> it was like in the books, it was a. Uh, like the way they had it, like season four didn't go like in the same order as the books. The books like continued on, but they took those two sets out that had to do with that kingdom, so that way they could make a movie of it rather than installing it in the fourth season Ooh. and adding it to just episodes. All right. So now we're just waiting for the fifth, the fifth season to come out eventually. Season five, uh, and no word on that. Twenty 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 five. Considering that uh, the first season of Overlord came out in, I want to say twenty fifteen or fourteen. Let's see. Let's see who wins. One piece or Overlord in time. Who comes out first? Let <laughs> you still be Overlord. Probably. <laughs> They'll finish up completely. Gee, they've been doing One Piece. This is the final arc, and the arc's already like a hundred uh, chapters long. <laughs> but uh, any questions or anything else to add? No, I'm good. We will see you guys on the next one. One pace all the time.